We are at towards the end of our summer series, we're calling Seven Ships. And so we have been seafaring through scripture, uh, looking at some of the most epic boat stories in the Bible. And we have been all over from Moses and his baby boat last week to Noah and his ark, which was basically a floating building. Um, pretty amazing. We, we talked about Peter walking on water. We've talked about Jonah and the whale. And so we're going to keep on this series. We're going to keep on this theme. And what's amazing to me is all of these stories that we're covering, they have one common thread. They have a common denominator. And they, they have miracles sprinkled in them all over the place like last week we talked about Moses miracles I mean just all over that story uh, the first story was where Peter comes out of the boat and he walks on water incredible we know that that's impossible scientifically but with God all things are possible and so all of these stories have miracles just scattered inside of them and we just sing about miracles. And, 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 and you know, the Bible is a Bible of miracles. It's, you know, just in the New Testament alone, um, I didn't do the math. Somebody did it for me. But there, there's, uh, there's 35 miracles that are ascribed to Jesus. 17 of those miracles are bodily cures where Jesus would heal someone, the leper or someone that was blind or, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the guards, the soldier's child. And, and so we see this happening so 17 of them are bodily cures. It's where God heals somebody's body, someone's body. Six of them are deliverances, where somebody's under the oppression or the, the uh, possession of the enemy, and Jesus delivers them. Three of them, Jesus raised folks right out of the grave, which is amazing. But nine of the miracles of the 35 that we have the, the full story on in the New Testament are, are, are miracles of nature. Where, you know, Jesus speaks to a fig tree. Jesus, in this story that we're going to talk about this morning, he speaks to, to the storm. And the storm is stilled. And so we know that of the 35, that's not all the miracles that Jesus performed. John ends his gospel, and I'm so glad he does this. You know, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are just four different stories of, you know, four different perspectives of the same stories. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about where Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. Um, Mark records a version of that story. Matthew records a version of that story. And Luke records a version of the story. And so the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are different perspectives of the same stories. But John, he ends his Gospel and he says, you know, if we wrote down every miracle that Jesus did, it would fill every book in the entire world. And so of these 35, we know that's not all the miracles that Jesus did. And, and miracles are, 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 you know, I think the way that Jesus performed miracles in the past is how he does it now. And so when we look at these, these stories, when we look at, you know, we're particularly talking about these, these ship stories, um, these are the ways that God will work in our lives. It's not just how he did it 2,000 years ago, but when we look at these stories, we, we're believing God that just like he did it for the disciples, he'll do it like that for us. And so in Mark, I want to read Mark's version of this story because he has the most details, but I'm going to bring out some of the stuff that Matthew's seen and also Luke. But in Mark chapter 4, uh, we're, going to, we're going to start in verse 35. We'll put it on the screen for you. And it said, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to take note of this, let us go to the other side. So this is Jesus' idea here. Take, you might want to underline that. We're going to the other side. And so leaving the crowd behind, 
they took him along. Now here's a little detail, just as he was. I didn't know what that meant, and a lot of scholars don't really speak to it. But before Jesus tells his, the disciples we're going to the other side, he's been teaching from a boat all day long. We know in the first verse of Mark 4, the crowd got so crazy, like the Blue Angels, you know what I'm saying? Like the beach was so full, there was nowhere else to put people. And so Jesus said, put me on a boat, boys, and put me a little off the coast, and I'll preach from there. And so Jesus is preaching from a boat. Another detail of this is a third of the disciples were professional fishermen. Yeah, these were not just like, you know, you, your uncle talks about how he's a good fisherman and you go fishing with him and you just do fishing, no catching. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you all know that, he, you know, the, it, these, these, these guys were, they made a living fishing. And, and some of the most, the, awesome, the most awesome people I know in my life are boat captains. They're incredible people. And, and, and boat captains, this is what, you know, a third of the disciples were. They spent a lot of time on the water. I mean, and it's almost to the point where they, were, they could be more comfortable on the water than they are on land. And so these were not just, you know, novice mariners are here or, or novice boats. You know, um, they rented the boat at Pontoon Willies and they're heading across the, the Sea of Galilee, you know, never driven a boat in their life. And we're just going to try it here, you know, like, no, these dudes, these, this was their life. They'd seen some of the worst storms. They made a living fishing, spent nights on the water, overnight fishing. We know that. And so th these, these, these folks, these fellows were really, really comfortable on a boat. So they left the crowd, verse 37, and a furious squall came up. The waves broke over the front of the boat, broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Some of y'all, if you went out on the Blue Angels on your boat this weekend, this might have happened to you. Uh, we had some storms that popped up. But Jesus love this, was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Few things. <laughs> this lets me know Jesus spent some time on boats because he knew where to go to sleep, right? Now, everybody wants to ride on the bow of a boat when they first jump on one, and they don't realize that's the roughest place to ride on a boat. Jesus knew. I'm about to catch some sleep. I've been preaching all day to thousands of people, and just as he was, they loaded him up. He falls asleep in the bottom of the boat. The stern is in the back of the boat. And so Jesus is asleep, and the storm is brewing. The disciples woke him, said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And look at this. He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, asked them two questions. Why are you so afraid? And what's going on with your faith? Those are good questions. We're going to talk about those. Verse 41, they went from scared to terrified. <laughs> and asked each other, who in the world is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Incredible story. There's so much in this story. You know, um, I like the way that Matthew and Luke present the story because they, it's in a little bit different order. They give some more details. But just, just before we jump in, I want us to look at this story and I want you to see kind of what's happening. On the outside, it's obvious that there's a storm. They explain it. The, the water's coming over the bow of the boat. Boats are designed to live in water. 
They're not designed for water to live in them. And so we know this is a serious storm because it, was, it, it affected the boat so bad that the water is now coming in and it's, it's coming over the front of the boat and, and they're panicked. But I, I want you to see in this, this story that there's more than just one storm. There's three storms in this story. There's the obvious storm, the physical storm. That's the waves, it's the wind, probably lightning, probably thunder, you know, probably, um, you know, panicking's happening, but they're, they're looking at what's going on on the outside. They see the waves are getting bigger. They see the boat is taking on water. There's a big physical storm that, that really, you know, is obvious in every single one of the versions of this story. They, they, they set off to go to the other side, wasn't expecting this storm. If you're from Florida, you know how easily this happens all summer long. I mean, it can be a bluebird, beautiful day, zero chance of rain, and you're outside, you know, you're in the Gulf, and it just so happens the biggest storm of your life pops up between you and the pass. You know what I mean? And, and, now, and now, you know, you got to go through this, this, the physical storm. It's frightening. But again, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they lived on boats. That's what they did for a living. And so physical storms, you know, they've seen them all the time. But I think the second aspect of this story that's really not obvious on the surface is the emotional storm. Matthew and Luke tell us that the disciples start fighting. And so now what was started as a physical storm, okay, the boat's sinking, what do we do about it? Well, let's fight each other. <laughs> you know, like, uh, now it's panic. It's excessive worrying. These are fishermen. These are boat captains. There's four of them. Cer certainly they can figure out how to, how to keep this boat afloat. But now the physical storm is an emotional storm. Now they're fighting each other. Now they're at each other's throat. Now they're panicking. Fear, anxiety has set in. About eight or nine years ago, uh, I went with a group of friends to this spot in Panama City. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. But it's a secret surf spot, and I can't, I can't tell you about it. But the only way to get to it, or somebody would try to kill me if I tell you. Um, there's literally, it's, it's like a big deal, I guess. But it's, there's a shipping channel in Panama City. It's a place called St. Andrews State Park. And, and when there's big hurricanes that get in the Gulf, it's one of the only places to surf. And so we decided to take a boat, and we were going to go, we were going to go catch this wave. And so it's me and a few friends, um, and it wasn't my boat. So we're coming out of the pass, and to get to this wave is pretty difficult. And, and there's, you know, there's waves rolling. I mean, it's, it was probably six to eight foot. And we turned the corner to come through the pass to where the wave breaks. And now this is like, a, this is like danger zone area. You know, waves are breaking. This is not a good time for the, bro the boat to malfunction. Well, of course, you know, he hits the throttle, and the boat's not going anywhere. And so we're taking waves on the bow of the boat, lots of waves. Uh, at one point, we, uh, our, the surfboards are floating in the boat. The boat is sinking. And so we all immediately start fighting each other, okay? You know, like, like, like this is your fault. Why did we do this? You know, the captain of the boat, uh, doc, Dr. Tony, one of my friends, he was, he was you know, he wasn't talking at all, you know what I'm saying? You know, he, he, and, and so what was going on, if you own a boat, when he would throttle up the, the throttle on the boat, it was trimming the motor up. There was a short in the wire. And so when he would try to throttle to get over these waves, the boat would actually just stop going. 
So we were panicking. You know, we were, we were like getting ready to have to swim back in. And we had, thankfully, we had, we had surfboards. But again, I want you to see that the physical storm, it went to an emotional level now because we are all mad at each other. You know, we're all giving the captain advice. You know, like they may you know, just throttle a little slower, do this, do that. Uh, you know, and, and so we, it was just not a good scenario. Emotional storms. We've all been there. When we, when we listen to fear, you know, faith can move mountains. Fear can create them. And, so, and, and, and if you can just imagine for a moment, I know you've been there before, where you've, you're going through a physical storm, you're going through some things in your life, and then, it, and then it gets on the inside, the emotional part of it. It's starting, now it's affecting relationships in your life. It's affecting the marriage. It's affecting relationships at work. It's affecting relationships at school. Because what was a physical storm on the outside is now moved on the inside. And then here's the third piece of this. Like the, the deepest level, I think, of this storm is it went from physical to emotional and then it went spiritual. And so there's the outside storm. There's the winds and the waves. There's the inside storm. The disciples are fighting each other. They're, they're, they're excessively worried now about this, this boat and how do I know that this was affecting them spiritually? I want you to see what they said to Jesus. They ran down to the stern and they said, Jesus, do you even care? We're about to die and you're sleeping. You're silent. And when we go through serious storms, the physical storm ain't a big deal. What happens on the outside, right? You lost your house. Hurricane came, lost my boat. I can get more of that stuff. It's replaceable. The emotional part, now you're fighting the family because you've got no power. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, it's hot. Right? Come on, right? we all know it, it affects you. But then there's storms that hit us in life that affect us so badly, we start to question the faithfulness and the love of God. He's silent. And this is the worst storm of my life, and I, I, don't, I don't hear from Jesus. What's he doing? Does he care at all? Spiritual storms. Hopefully we only see one or two or three of these in our entire life. But when they hit, we question everything. We question everyone's motives. We don't know who's for us or against us. And then at the heart of hearts of the issue of what's really going on is we question, does God care at all about this? Does he even know what's going on? Can he help? Can you imagine what's going on in the disciples' minds? He just got through preaching from a boat. They've seen him raise the dead and heal the sick. They've seen him do all sorts of incredible miracles, but this. And so they immediately, they get fearful. The storm has now gone underneath. The storm is now spiritual. There's a physical storm. There's what's going on on the outside, but this is deeper. And so how do we navigate these things in life? How do we navigate these things? I think if, if we sat down and me and you were having coffee and I asked you about your life and what you've been through and what you've faced, if you're real honest, and most people don't like to say this, but you've questioned God's, what is he doing? Why am I going through this? Am I in this alone? I mean, I know God's with me all the time, Pastor. I know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times, but my boat's sinking and, and he is silent. I don't know what to do. 
And I think it's in these moments where God does his best work if we can, if we can hold on. And so I want to give you three things, and we're going to pray, and you can go eat your leftovers from the 4th of July. Okay, I'm sure you got some ribs from last week that are still hanging out. <laughs> Hebrews 6:19, one of my favorite verses. That's why I wear an anchor on my right hand. Um, Caitlin was my, my wife got me this ring for our five-year anniversary. I lost that one. So then she got me another one for our 10-year anniversary. I have went through like 30 wedding rings, uh, but uh, I just get them at Walmart now. So uh, But Paul, I mean, the writer of Hebrews says that we've got this hope as an anchor for what? Our soul. Not an anchor for our physical boat and physical storms, but for the spiritual ones. Because your soul needs an anchor. Your soul needs something to keep you steady when the storms hit. Maybe, just maybe, the real miracle in this story is not the storm that Jesus calmed on the outside, but it's the storm that he calmed on the inside of his disciples. Because Matthew and Luke shows us that he spoke to the disciples first. And then he dealt with the storm. We have a hope that's, that's, that's an anchor for our soul. And I want you to see it's firm and secure. Now look at where it is. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, behind the veil. And so if, if you've done any boating in your life, you've seen one of these before, right? If you've been out on a boat, this is what an anchor looks like. And what I love about these, the principle here where Paul's writing, he's telling the writer of Hebrews is saying, God has given you some tools that are anchors for your soul when you face things that you don't understand. And I think they work the same way as this physical anchor right here. When you throw this over the boat and you throw it out, you have no idea what it's connected to, but you know it's connected to something solid. You don't see what it is. It's invisible to you. It goes down under the boat. If you're in deep water, you have no clue where this anchor is holding. All you know is that it's steady. What happens on this side of the road doesn't matter as long as this is solid. As long as this is, is secure and it's, right, it's, it's holding the way it should hold, these anchors are designed to help get that boat and the passengers through storms, to help anchor them when maybe the tides or the currents are trying to drift the boat where it doesn't need to go. Your, your soul is prone to wander. Especially when we hit storms. And if we don't have something keeping us steady, right? If we don't have something anchoring us, and what I love that the writer of Hebrews says is that these are not things you're going to see. Right? These are, the, this anchor is holding in places that are invisible. He says it reaches through the veil the, into God's presence. And, and so he's showing us, he's telling us that, that when, when storms hit, we need something holding us steady in life. And so I think the first thing that anchors our soul that I want to talk about this morning, when we hit rough waters, it's all right. We're anchored when we cultivate God's presence in our life. Because I want you to see where the panic happened. The panic started when they got so afraid in that God was not with them or going to help them. 
And, I, and I, I'm, thankful for, I'm thankful for Sundays. I'm thankful for that when, when we come together and we worship, there's something powerful that happens. It's more than just singing songs, right? I, I, I love going to concerts, but there's a difference. There, there's a difference between going to a concert and when people get together and begin to worship. Because the Bible says in Psalm 23 that, that, or Psalm 22 that God, he inhabits the praises of his people. And so it's one of the things that we do every week, and there's a reason why we do it first. Because it's, it's like when we worship, it, it, it attracts the presence of God. God shows up. Let me give it to you in the, in the, New, in the New Testament. It says that, that God is looking, John 4, there's a time coming where real worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, and, and the Father is seeking. He's looking for somebody to worship. Not only, so when we cultivate, when we worship God, not only does it get God's attention, it attracts God. And especially when you can do it in a storm. Especially when you can do it when what's going on on the outside does not really reflect what you want to happen on the inside. And there's uncertainty and there's waves coming over the bow and you're scared and you're afraid. If you can dig deep in those moments and say, in the face of all this, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to seek God's presence. There's nothing more powerful than that. And, and, and I know it seems like Jesus kind of got on to the disciples, but they knew what to do when they faced something that they didn't understand. They went and found Jesus. <laughs> I know he's asleep. I know nobody hears him. I know he's on a, on a pillow down in the stern, but there's a principle there <laughs> that when we hit things we don't understand, it's good to already have a pattern in our heart knowing how to get into the presence of God. They knew where he was. They knew where to find him. They knew how to wake him up. I mean, he was on the boat, but he wasn't aware. He didn't know what was going on. And so when we hit spiritual storms, an anchor for our life is God's presence. And sometimes when it's real, real deep and we're facing things that we really don't understand, it's the only thing that brings us stability. And when we worship, when we praise, when we lift our hands, there's, there's multiple words for worship in the Old Testament. There, there, uh, there's Tehillah, which means personal song. There's Barak, it's a Hebrew word that means to bow down. There, there's all these, there's, God has given us the pattern. I didn't make this stuff up. Somebody asked me, why is everybody so exuberant at your church? They all, you know, I mean, and I'm like, you don't, you haven't seen nothing. Let me show you, send you some other churches. And I, I mean, I said, well, here's the reality, because we just give God what he wants. He said, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I will lift my hands when I enter the sanctuary. I mean, it's, it, it was, I didn't make it up. I mean, God, God said, this is what I want. If you want to attract me, do what I'm telling you to do. When you hit a storm, don't get silent. And that's the temptation. That's the temptation. Is it just navigate it on our own, internalize it. I'm not going to tell nobody what I'm going through. I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to fake it until I make it. Right? I'm, I mean, I'm panicking. I'm frustrated. This, this has now become an emotional and spiritual thing. But I'm just going to act like everything's okay. That's not what the disciples did. 
They ran down there, Jesus, we're dying. <laughs> we're, we're, we're drowning here. Can, can you do something? They got, they got a hold of God. However you do that, whatever that looks like for you, don't wait until a storm hits to know how to get into the presence of God. Some people clap, some people sing, some people shout, right? It's like sticking your finger in an electric outlet. Some people are going to cry, some people are going to run. You know, like, I, I mean, but, but you got to know how to get into, I mean, we need the presence of God to anchor our lives, more than that, to anchor our souls. The disciples didn't waste any time. <laughs> they woke Jesus up. They found him. Psalm 91 says it like this, whoever dwells, right, in the shelter of the Most High, keyword dwells, they don't visit the presence of God, it's a part of their life. And that's what I want for you. I believe that God's presence is with you all the time. I know you, I mean, it's good to get wisdom, it's good to, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom and safety, it's good to have people in your life that you can run things by. But when you're on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and you don't have a, a, you know, you don't have a radio to call in the Coast Guard, you got to know how to get a hold of God. And there's promises that come with that. When we cultivate God's presence in our life, how do we do it? I think it's done every day. I think it's in the dailies. How do you build a great relationship with your spouse? It's done every day. It's not in the big Disney World experiences, Right? I still haven't gone there. I don't know if I can handle it yet. You know what I mean? I, 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 it's like it's either people love it or they're like, it was the worst three days of our life. You know, like, I mean, it, it's not in the big, like, let's go take a trip to Bali. And, you know, no, no, no. It's in the dailies. It's in the drinking coffee together in the morning and, and, and before work. It's, it's in the, hey, you know, praying before you go to bed. Or let's say prayer before we, we say grace over this food. It's in the daily routine. Spiritual life is really developed in the dark where nobody sees it. And so when we build this up in our life, what's the point of it? Well, I think the point of it is when we really hit turbulent times, we know where to go. We, we know where to go. We know that God is with us, and there's not a storm big enough, big enough to convince us that he's not. Because he was with me on the mountaintop, and I know he'll be with me in the valley, and he was with me on the shore, seaside, and he'll be with me in the middle of the ocean when the seas are 10 to 20 feet, and I don't know what's going on. It's built, it's built in the dailies, cultivating God's presence. You know, peace isn't the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. And a lot of times we pray for God to get rid of our trouble, but God's saying that's, that's not going to fix what's going on because <laughs> the trouble is pushing you to him. <laughs> and so real peace is not for the storm to go away. Again, he doesn't speak to the storm first. Jesus could have woke up and said, peace be still. Guys, I need two more hours. I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> he didn't do that. He spoke to them. Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Second thing that, that, that I believe will anchor us when we, we hit spiritual storms is cultivating the presence of God in our life, but, but rehearsing and remembering God's promises. The word of God. And so when I can't hear the voice of God, right, where do I turn? To the word of God. 
66 books, thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of God's promises, of encouragement, and you're going to make it, and you're going to get through it. And what I love about this story is if you look at the first verse where the story begins, Jesus told him, he said, hey, let us go to the other side. They just forgot. How much in our life, storm-wise, is caused because we have forgotten the promises of God? Maybe if they could have remembered or just rehearsed what he said when they left the shoreline. Jesus said we're getting to the other side, y'all. I know this storm is serious, but let's let him nap. Come on now, he's been a busy day. They didn't do that. They forgot what he said. They forgot the promises of God. I think that's why it's, it's so important that, that we, we, we get the word in us as much as we can. We get the word in us as much as we can. The more of the word that we know, I think the more that we'll be able to navigate these types of things in our life. Because it's an anchor. It's something that's solid. In a world that's changing every day, there's nothing that stays the same in this world. He says, my word, though, it'll never change. It's constant. Through the storm, through the trial, you can trust. You can, you can put your hope in this word. And, and, and so and it's, it's different. It's not, I mean, there, there's a lot of words, y'all. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of scripture. And I think the, the difference is there's, there's two main words for, for, for scripture in the New Testament. There's the logos word, right? That's the written word. There's the rima word, which means the spoken word of God. And when you get into trouble, I know this is what I do, I just dig and dig and dig and dig until I can find a Rima word, right? Like, I don't need to know the names of Moses' cousins and brothers and aunts, and I'm thankful that it's in there, and the, the lineage, and, the, and, and you know, like, like I, I need, a, I need a, a word right now. When we rehearse God's promises... It anchors our life. It anchors our soul. It's Psalm 119, verse 81. My soul faints. It longs for your salvation. So what do I do? I've put my hope in your word. I've put my hope in your word. And so the other question is, how, how much of that encouragement are we putting in our minds every day compared to maybe breaking news? Right? There's a lot of breaking news. <laughs> Thankful for all that stuff. Great stuff. Like to know what's going on in the world. Think that's, that's good. But compared to that, how much am I feeding my soul? How much am I, am I eating on the word of God? Am I, am I feeding on the, how much am I letting God lead me beside still waters and green pastures and feed me? It it's, comes back to the dailies. It comes back to, to filling our minds with encouragement and filling our minds with hope, filling our minds with the word, because we may not need it today. But next week or next year, when that word is inside of you and, and it's been a part of you, you're eating on it, it's your daily routine, that, that God will use that to speak to you when you hit things that are uncertain and you hit you know, storms in your life that, that, that go deep down into the spiritual. And, and I've heard this said before, and I think it's true, that fear and faith are similar in one way. They're fed by focus. You feed your fear by focus. If I sit and read about fearful things all day long, which I did basically six months last year, um, I, I'm not going to want to go outside. 
I'm going to be scared of everybody and everything because the world is, you know, it's a, anything can kill you out there like a bug. You know, you go to Australia, all the animals there can kill you. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and if I just fill my mind all day and focus on fear and focus on what, what's the worst case scenario here, that's what the disciples did. There's a storm, water's coming in, they jump to the worst case scenario. We're drowning. How do we back down the voice of fear? We feed ourselves with faith. We feed ourselves the word. We feed ourselves so we know, okay, I'm feeling this right now. You know, your emotions aren't always true, but they're real. Jesus didn't get up and say, y'all are a bunch of sissies. What's wrong with you? Why are you freaking out? He didn't, he didn't disregard their emotions. He fed their faith. He asked them pointing questions. What are you afraid of? He connected their fear and their faith. What's, what's going on with your faith? He, it's almost like the more that fear is operating in our life, the less faith will operate in our life. And so we feed our faith by what we focus on. I've never spent 15 minutes reading the Bible and then said, why did I just waste my time? I've spent 15 hours reading news in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Like just waking up, just crazy, you know, and thought, why did I do that? So it's getting this in our diet, it's getting this in our routine, it's feeding ourselves with the Word of God. And then here's the last one, and I think this is the most, most important one. Because he, so they wake Jesus up, God's presence, they, they, they needed Jesus in this moment. They rehearse, right, we rehearse the Word of God, the promises of God that keep us steady, that keep us grounded. But he, he speaks directly to their fear. He asked that question first, according to Matthew. What are you afraid of? Well, shouldn't that be obvious? <laughs> right? When Jesus asks a question, he normally knows the answer. The boat's sinking, Jesus. The storm is raging. You know, we, 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 we are all captains. We know how to operate these boats, and we think this thing's going down. Jesus speaks to their faith. Oh, ye of little faith, why can't you just believe? I've been with you so long. Why are you still doubting? Then he speaks to the storm. Amazing. And immediately, and it says, you know, according to Mark, there was multiple boats with them. So there's more than just one boat. There was a lot of people. And when he speaks to the storm, it blows their mind. And I think what happens here. And I want you to, to catch this because, you know, fear can be a healthy thing when it's put in the right place. Laird Hamilton is a big wave surfer from Hawaii. He talks about healthy fear in one of his books. He, he, was, he, he basically, like, was the first person, pioneered big wave surfing. And big wave surfing is like, you know, 30 foot, 40 foot plus, the size of this building. Insane. Dude is like, an, he's amazing. I mean, just waterman. But he talks about healthy fear in the water. He says it's healthy fear that keeps us alive. You know, when I was growing up around, around, the, or around the water and learning how to surf, I'll never forget one of the, one of the you know, more experienced surfers said, you know, you, you can't disrespect the Gulf. You got to have a healthy fear of it. And when Jesus comes up, he, he speaks straight to their fear. He doesn't cast it away he transfers it 
He doesn't say, all right, you shouldn't be fearful. Why are you scared? But I think what he, what he, what he addresses is their fear was in the wrong place. He's like, you're afraid of this storm. You're afraid of what's going on, on the outside. But what you should be more afraid of, of what's, is what's going on on the inside. That this storm has made you into a coward. You're backing away from what I've told you to do. I, I gave you my word, right? I love how Jesus encourages his disciples. He doesn't rebuke them. I don't think it's in a harsh way. I think he just reminds them very gently of his faithfulness and God's goodness. And that there is such a thing as a, as a healthy fear. Book of Proverbs, one of the, I mean, it's one of the wisdom books, one of the books of, uh, that, that we, we did a study through it a few years ago. But the beginning of wisdom, right? The beginning of being able to take knowledge and apply it in your life is the fear of the Lord. And so it was a healthy fear. It was, it was, there, there, there's a certain thing that we can have. You know, G.K. Chesterton says it like this, idolatry is committed not merely by setting up false gods, but also by setting up false devils, by making men afraid of war, alcohol, economic law, when they should be afraid of spiritual corruption and cowardice. And so courage is knowing the difference between what I should be afraid of and what I shouldn't be afraid of. And Jesus speaks directly to that in their life. Because there's going to be things that form in and around your world that are going to try to make themselves seem bigger than God. This storm did it for the disciples. It's going to happen. And if I could wrap this sermon up, a sermon in a verse, if you want to write this one down, I mean, it's, it's Proverbs 19, verse 23. The, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And it, you see what happened in the story? He speaks to the storm, peace be still, and it says they were terrified. They were like, who, who, who is this guy? Like, we've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him do all these things, but we've never seen this before. And I think that's what God wants to do in our life. I think he wants to show himself stronger than anything else in our life. He wants to speak to the fear. He, he wants to, to give you really what I like to call healthy fear. Because sometimes we can be afraid of the wrong things. We can focus on the wrong stuff. But I think there's a, there's a healthy fear. And it's, and it's not the fear the way that we think of it as being scared. I think it's a reverence. It's, it's you know, when you're a kid, <laughs> when you're growing up and, 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 like, everything dad does is just amazing, right? It's like this, this, this reverent awe of, of your dad of, like, man, he, he's, like a, he's like Superman. He can do everything. When I, when I can just imagine this story, when Jesus got up and he walked out on that boat and he spoke to that storm, I'm, I, I wasn't there, but I can, if for a moment we can imagine. It was probably like when a little child sees his dad throw a baseball <laughs> or do something that he's trying to do and he can't. It's this, this present God that's with us through every storm. That's in the, you know, maybe it's silent, maybe you, you can't hear him, and maybe, it, you know, you're, you're facing a spiritual storm of your own right now, and you're starting to question if God cares. 
I want to encourage you this morning. He cares more than you can ever imagine. He loves you more than anybody else on this planet. And a lot of times, he just wants us to invite him into the situation that we're facing. God, this is bigger than me. I can't face this. I can't handle this. Peter, who was, he was on the boat in this story. In 1 Peter, he talks about this. He says, we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And I want you to see this before we pray. The last thing that, that I really feel like happened in this storm is that when disciples were worrying, Jesus was resting. But when they woke him up and they made it his problem, <laughs> he was working and they were able to rest. And sometimes getting into the presence of God and, and reminding ourselves of God's promises, it's just like, okay, Lord, I, I, need you to, I need you to get to work in this situation because I don't know what to do and I don't know how to face this. I need you to speak. This storm is bigger than me. This storm is beyond what I can face. And he's faithful to do it. He's faithful to do it. I wish I could pass this mic around and the people in this room that have went through some of the storms that were physical. It was a diagnosis and then it became emotional. Now it's affecting relationships and then it became spiritual. I don't know if God cares for me. He won't heal me. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Am I doing something wrong? It's okay to question God. This story lets us all know that. I mean, these disciples spent every day with Jesus. They knew the color of his hair. They knew the, the color of his eyes. They could recognize his voice in a crowd. They doubted him. And sometimes that's almost an act of worship. Lord, throwing our hands up. I don't know what to do here, but God, can, can you send? Can you speak? I need something to keep me steady in this. And he's faithful. So I want us to do this. I'll just bow your head and I want to pray. I know this is a, you may not be going through a storm or an emotional storm or a spiritual storm right now, but just bow your head and pray for those that may be in this room that are facing a storm in their life right now that's got them questioning God's faithfulness. It's got them questioning if, if God really, does he care about what I'm going through? That's, that's facing what Mother Teresa called as the silence of God. She talked about the silence of God in her life, the absence of God for so many years. And she served and she served and she, she helped and she gave her life to orphans. And, and she talks, she writes about it, this, 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 this years of silence. Lord, we need your voice to speak into our lives. God, we need your word as an anchor. We need your presence to keep us steady, to keep our souls secure. Lord, help us to fear the right things. You said don't fear what anybody can do to your body. Don't fear any person that comes against your life. Fear the one who has his soul in your hands, who, who has his soul right now in the palm of his hands, that he's, he's, he's carrying you. He's strengthening you that he has more power than any storm you'll ever face on this side of eternity could ever 
never work up in your life. And so, Lord, we come to you. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're faithful. And he said, if we will come to you and we ask that you would show up. And so, Lord, we just pray for that, that presence in our life. I pray for that if you're here and you just felt like so far from God, you feel like you're a million miles away from God and God would never talk to you. He would never speak to you. I, I, I want to pray for you because I believe God wants to speak to you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. It doesn't matter what your life's been up to this point. He loves you. He cares for you. And even in that situation that you felt you were alone, he was with you. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We thank you this morning that we have a God who's risen and present with us even now. And, God, we just invite you into this, to this moment. God, we invite you into our lives. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.